0: Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to another episode of Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry and my host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of DrBarryPierre.com, as well as Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Yami, who is a board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician. She is a board-certified health and wellness coach, Author, podcast host, professional speaker—just so first of all, she is just an amazing person. But like her story and the discussion that we're about to have today, really uh, will help guide you, especially for my parents. So this is really a uh, an episode. If you have kids, if you're taking care of kids in one way or the other, this is an episode you're going to want to hear. Dr. Yami is also a passionate promoter of healthy lifestyles especially the power of plant-based diets for the prevention of chronic disease and she founded VeggieFitKids.com where she provides information on plant-based diets for children and she hosts the podcast Veggie Doctor Radio. So again like I said I can I can go on for days just how many things she does, which again is always impressive. You guys know I love when I see my physicians, you know, step outside the box and do some amazing things that doesn't really just kind of keep them kind of, you know, fixated in the the clinical office or in the hospital setting, wherever they're at. Uh, And so she's definitely done that, really spreading the message. And again, as a father of three, who, like, again, I don't even want to call them picky kids no more. And when you check check out uh, this episode, especially towards the end, you're going to hear why, you know, we shouldn't be calling our kids picky. Um, she does an amazing job really talking about what and how we need to feed our children for well-being, for longevity, for joy. She's going to talk about some of the stressors that parents feel and, you know, gives us some tangible tips and actionable tips that you can, like, take, like, place, like, Right after you listen to this podcast episode, right? Like you could do it like almost immediately, like it to see and you'll see some definitely some positive changes, uh, in your children, right? So again, you know, you know the drill. Make sure you listen, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you uh, leave us a five star review. Also, make sure again in the description, depending on where you listen to this, uh, in the description, in the show notes, um, we will have all of her socials. Uh, and she's gonna, she'll definitely tell you what her socials websites are. Make sure you follow her as well, too. Especially you could just go to dryami.com, um, to follow and, you know, learn and, like I said, be, be impressed, uh, with such an amazing individual. Uh, so let's get ready for another amazing episode this week on the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Lunch and Learn Community Merchandise Store. Living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. And for the thanks of being a devoted podcast listener, I'm going to give you opportunity to save 10% off today's purchase using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Go to shop.drbeerPR.com. Use the coupon code empower10, all one word. You will save 10% off your entire purchase. Remember, 50% of all proceeds are donated to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization giving out scholarships for high school students. All right, Lunch Learn, you are in for a treat. Uh, I have a special guest here who, uh, like, it not only has a lot of traits that I love, um, Osteopathic physician public health, loves talking about health, uh, but more importantly, loves the aspect of coaching. And we're going to talk about a very important conversation. Again, obviously, as an internist, you know, I love I love kids, but I, I, I'm i not the expert. So I, I always stress whenever we want to talk about children, because I get I get I get your questions all the time. Like, hey, talk about some kid stuff. And, and I always try to bring the experts to do that. So uh, we have Dr. Ami here. And uh, the discussion today is how and what to feed your child for well-being, longevity and joy, which is such a fantastic topic. I'm just ready to kind of dive in. So, Dr. Yami, first of all, thank you for uh, joining uh, the Lunch and Learn community today.
1: It's my pleasure, Dr. Barry. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
0: So before we get into kind of the nitty gritty of our topic of conversation, like let the Lunch and Learn community know who you are, you know, where you've been, what are you up to, uh, so, so they can be in that same mind frame of uh, excitement that I am.
1: Sure. Well, I'm a primary care pediatrician, and I own my own practice. I love practicing pediatrics. But I became very interested in nutrition from a young age, primarily because I developed disordered eating and recurrent dieting, yo-yo dieting, binge eating, restrictive eating, all of those things. And it wasn't until I became a pediatrician, I was out in practice and I discovered plant-based nutrition and intuitive eating that I felt like everything opened up for me. And I learned concepts that I could apply to my own patients that I felt were simple and just made so much sense. And so it took me away from this world of dieting mindset and having to be a certain body size more to the focus on well-being, mm. focus on prevention, but then also a focus on longevity and joy, because I think at the foundation of all of this, we all just want to live long, happy lives. And when we look at kids, they're so great about living in the moment and just living day to day. (laughs) They just want to feel good. They're not thinking about how adults are. We're thinking all into the future all the time or worrying about our past. They're in the moment. So how can we feed them? How can we raise them? What strategies can we use to help them continue to feel good so that they can live their best lives? And so that's what my focus is now. And that's why I love lifestyle medicine, applying the pillars of lifestyle medicine. But of those pillars, my very favorite is nutrition.
0: You know, it's so interesting, especially I, I love talking to my physician colleagues who kind of reach this point, because obviously, again, I'll, and I'll speak for my training, especially at Nova Scotia as a medical student, it isn't something that's like ingrained in, in our curriculum, like that's usually not you know, the priority, it's disease management, person has said disease, how do we treat said disease, like it's never, and a lot of times, the focus really isn't even on the patient, it's more on the disease itself, it -hmm. it just happens to have a patient attached to it. So I love like when my colleagues kind of get that mindset that they understand that, you know what, like, like we got to focus on extra, like more there's more really there's more to life, right? Which obviously makes sense. But I think a lot of times, especially in our training, it, it, it doesn't really come off, especially in the beginning, especially from a just a natural standpoint.
1: Yes. And upstream thinking too, which I feel like I'm in the perfect specialty to understand that because the majority of kids are born healthy. they everything is working well. And then you start seeing through these different diet and lifestyle decisions. That's when things start piling up. And mm. so really practicing that upstream medicine, what is the root cause of all of our chronic conditions of our unhappiness, you know, our mental health disorders and starting there rather than what you said is just treating the symptoms how can we prevent the symptoms from happening in the first place but
0: what's interesting obviously as, as a parent and, and you, you kind of note that again that the kids their innate way of thinking the way of just kind of being is happy is kind of jovial uh is is it a lot especially as a pediatrician is there something that you know kind of parents kind of I don't want to say intervene, but kind of get in the way that kind of set kids down the path that they really shouldn't be going?
1: Well, when it comes to feeding, yes. And so I'm super passionate about this because I had to learn this the hard way. I want everybody to know that I wasn't born some sort of perfect parent that knew exactly what to do. In fact, I still make mistakes every day and I'm not perfect at following these principles. But one of the things that I see parents doing over and over again, which makes sense, it's not like it's a nonsensical thing to do, but when kids become about one, 18 months, those toddler stages, they start to get more selective in their eating, but they also start to eat less. And it makes sense because their growing slows down. So they just don't need as many calories, one. But number two, they're also way more interested in their environment, like their job at that time is to toddle around and to explore and to touch this and to touch that and to really just learn from their world. They don't want to sit down and have long, luxurious European-style meals. I mean, they just want to eat enough so that they're sated so that they can go back to their primary job of exploring. However, parents see this and parents panic and they think, my child is going to waste away. They're not eating enough. And that's when parents intervene. So they start telling the child, one more bite. Here's the airplane. You can't have dessert until you eat this. No, you can't get down until you clean your plate. And you see how those little things that parents, well-meaning parents, so I'm not saying that, I you know, parents are bad when they do this. They're well-meaning. However, that starts to interfere with a child's natural intuitive ability to sense their hunger and their fullness. So essentially we're telling the child, I don't trust you, whenever you're stopping eating because you're no longer hungry, and therefore you should not trust yourself. And we do that enough over several years that by age five or six, children naturally start to lose that intuitive ability to tune into their hunger and their satiety.
0: Wow. You know, that's interesting, especially when, when we just kind of discuss this intuitive aspect of eating is, is that usually kind of the foundation? Like if, if, if it's done right, like as as a child, they tend to kind of bring those habits as an adult, or is this yes. something that obviously if if you don't know anything about intuitive eating that you can kind of pick up on the fly like what what have what have you kind of seen from your your so experience?
1: two things one, yes, most children are born intuitive eaters, and you know we know this from babies. We don't try to force feed babies most of the time, which I think is good, <laughs> but then we start to you know lose that trust by the time they're toddlers. If instead we realize that we can support and encourage and foster intuitive eating rather than show our children that we don't trust them and they shouldn't trust themselves yes we can continue that intuitive eating hopefully for a lifetime obviously there's other things that can happen in life that can interfere or you know can derail that intuitive eating ability But the good news is that even if you have lost your ability to eat intuitively for decades, you can relearn it. The body is amazing that way. All those mechanisms are still in place. You just have to give yourself permission to tune back in and practice and let go of this perfectionism. But the number one thing that adults have to do in order to relearn intuitive eating is to stop dieting.
0: Most people don't want to hear that. Ooh, they don't want to hear that. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so what was interesting, especially that that aspect, is, is you're going. to, I'm pretty sure you've heard parents say, "Well, if if I if I let my kids, you know, eat what they want to eat, like how are they going to get their nutrition? How are they going to get all of the the things that they quote unquote need? Like how how do you combat like that argument? Yes.
1: Well, I go back to Ellen Satter, who is a a brilliant woman who came up with something called the division of responsibilities. So this means that parents have their own set of autonomous rules that they should follow and children have theirs as well. And we try not to cross over into each other's territories. You stay in your own lane, in other words. Mm. So the job of the parent is to decide what, when and where, what Am I going to offer my child When am I going to prepare and offer my child when and where? So something like, okay, today we're going to make black bean burritos with some avocado and some berries and maybe a small cookie. We're going to do that at noon, sitting at the table. So my job is done. Then I present the food to my child. Their job, their role is to decide if and how much. So once I hand the autonomy over to the child, I stay out of it. And that's what happens is we cross over into, no, you just one more bite. You can't eat this until you eat that. And so we're crossing over into their autonomy. So as a parent, it is your job, especially when your children are smaller. It is your job to ensure that you are providing a variety of whole foods. It is your job. And it is your job also what I say to create a positive environment. So if you don't want your child to be eating Doritos and brownies all day, don't fill your fridge and cabinets with Doritos and brownies, because what we see is our vision board for life, right? So if you want your children to be eating more broccoli and black beans and brown rice, that's what you should have in your house. It's not all or nothing. So it's not that we can't ever have some of these play foods in our house, but fill your environment with What you want your children to learn to like. Because the only way that a child is going to learn to prefer a food. Is through consistent and repetitive exposure. That is the only way any of us learn to like anything. So you have to keep offering it. But then once you offer it, you got to step back and bite your tongue. You know, don't say it, the word. Don't give the mom eye. Don't mm-hmm. do any of those things because then it's the child's job to explore their food as well, decide if and how much, stop when they're. Fool, you know. One day, maybe they will eat the broccoli, but then they might go ten days without even touching the broccoli, and that's just how it goes in a child's world.
0: When and, and obviously, especially because you know you deal with these parents, and, and they're coming to you and they're saying like they just won't eat. Like Dr. Yami, like I put the food in front of them, like they just won't eat. They're you know they're starving. Like like how do you deal with that level of stress that a parent has? That like hey I I. I, I did the right things. I put the right things in front of them. I set them down, right? But like they're looking at the plate like no. Like how do you how do how do you like deal with that, especially from, yes. from a parent standpoint?
1: Well, again, this is very common. And again, I will say that parents are doing the best job they know how to, and they're very well meaning. But I see a lot of traps that parents end up in. One of them is excessive snacking between meals or drinking caloric beverages between meals. So drinking milk, drinking juice, lots of snacking between meals. So then what happens is the child comes to the table, and they're truly not hungry. And so the parents not counting all of these calories they had at other times of the day, because that wasn't technically a meal. And so then they think their child is starving. The second trap that parents fall into is they give the plate, the child's like, Ugh. I don't want that. Or I'm not hungry. And the parent panics and they're like, okay, okay, okay. I'll make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the kids like, score, <laughs> you know. So
0: and that just our perpetuates kids the purpose? habit. Like our kid, do kids know, like if I if I I fight here. You know, um, it's
1: it's just psychology, you know, it's just conditioning. It's pure conditioning. It's like it's like if you know your dog knows that every time they come up to you and whine, you're gonna give them some of your food. A child learns too that, you know, I'm not hungry enough to really wanna eat this broccoli and quinoa, but I can always have a brownie, you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm hungry or not, then they just learn that if they hold out or if they do a certain thing, you know, then they might get that reward, reward, which we really shouldn't be rewarding with food because that also sets up for emotional eating. So instead, what I recommend to parents is to have, yeah, to have a flexible schedule when it comes to eating. And unfortunately with the pandemic, we were stressed, we were anxious, we were bored and we've all become these perpetual grazers, which is exactly the opposite of what we should be doing, because when we get to the meal, we're not hungry. So instead, we have our three meals, snacks as needed, sitting down, scheduled, structured, so that you know that when you come to your next meal or snack, you do give your body the opportunity to get hungry. So the child is more likely to be open to trying different flavors but if they're not because there are some children that they eat a lot at the beginning of the day and so they're not very hungry at the end of the day or some children that don't eat very much at the beginning of the day and eat more at the end of the day. So each child has their own pattern. So it's not about panicking. It's about staying consistent with your plan, keep offering the foods, have this flexible structure and just being patient.
0: I know growing up, you know, you know, I used to, you know, my mom would always get on us where like if you don't if you don't eat blank, you can't get up and watch TV. If you don't eat this, you can't, you know, drink juice. Like, is like, do you see tactics like that? Do, do, those, do those do more harm uh, for children, especially when we talk about just kind of allowing them to be free and eating? Or how, how, how do you feel about those?
1: Oh, exactly. No, that is one of the tactics that parents use to try to get their kids to eat things that they think that they should eat. And I am all for presenting children with a variety of whole plant foods. That is one of my missions in life is to get more children and adults to eat more whole plant foods. But when we do it in this kind of coercive way, then what we do is we teach children that they shouldn't tune into their bodies, that they should eat based upon other cues. I should eat based upon whether, you know, I'm going to get rewarded with something else or rewarded with some sort of play food or because I'm forced instead of tuning into my body. So it is tempting to do those things. And it probably does work in some families. However, it Pulls us further and further away from intuitive eating, which is such a valuable skill to have for a lifetime. So that's what I want parents to just learn that it's okay to take a step back. And it's okay if your child is not the perfect broccoli eater and they don't have to eat their greens every single day. But if you actually take a step back and trust them, eventually they will taste those greens and they may even become a lover of greens. But we have to give them the opportunity to do it on their own because that sets them up for a lifetime. Cause I'm not going to be around my kids till, you know, they're 60 and 70 and telling them to eat their greens. So I want them to learn those habits in a very supportive and positive environment where they have the ability to grow into it themselves.
0: Is there any, is there any tips that you have for parents who, who do struggle with their kids wanting to eat good, um, especially when we talked about fruits and vegetables, there's any like, because obviously they're going to be stressed, right? You know, they, they may have that one they like they'll always eat the peanut butter and jelly, but like they'll never eat the salad. And they like, is there any tips that you have for you know, for those parents who like, who want their kids to eat more leafy vegetables, whole grain type foods, but just, uh, you know, won't?
1: Absolutely. For kids, it's all about making it fun. And you can start including children in your cooking and your food preparation and the planning of your meals early. So even little toddlers, you can put them up on those little elevated little protected stair things. And they can help you, you know, put things in the recipe, mix things, measure things. And older kids, they can have those safety knives where they can help you cut fruits and vegetables. The older kids can help you menu plan, look through the cookbooks, look through blogs and find recipes that they like, take them to the store, have them pick a fruit or vegetable that they've never seen before that they want to try. Garden, go out in the garden, garden with your child. You can, even if you don't, if you don't have a yard and you have a very small place, now you can even grow your own herbs indoors. You can even grow microgreens, which are super easy to grow indoors. So there's all sorts of opportunities no matter what your budget is, to get your child involved. And the more involved they are, the more likely they are to have a curiosity about these foods and want to taste them. The other trick, and I won't call it it's not really a trick, but it's it's sort of a fun thing to do. And it's fun for everybody, everybody in the family, including the kids, is to do bar type meals. So what I mean by this, you've probably heard of baked potato bars, right? Where you get the potatoes, you can do either white potato or sweet potatoes, bake them up, and then just have a variety of different toppings. So say we have black beans and garbanzo beans and roasted chickpeas, and we have, you know, some cashew cheesy sauce and green onions and cilantro, and you put all of these beautiful toppings out, everybody grabs their potato and each person of the family, they get to pick what toppings they want on it. It's super fun for kids. You'll be surprised, especially if you don't pressure them of what they choose to have on their potato. You can do that with salads, obviously, you can do that with make your own pizza night, everybody has their own individual pizza, they choose what to put in there. Taco is an obvious one. You know, there's so many different foods, you can do this bar style eating, where the children get that feeling of autonomy, they get that feeling of choice with children love that they get excited about that. And then they may also have a little bit of peer pressure. So it's not like you're forcing them, but they may see their siblings or siblings are getting green onions and cilantro. They're like, huh, maybe I'll try that too. I put a little cilantro on theirs as well. You know, so that's another thing that you can do with your family. That's low pressure because it's the same meal that you're preparing for everybody, but everybody gets to individualize it based on their preferences.
0: Do you consider, do you consider kids to be picky eaters? Is that a term that you would you know, label a, a child, especially, especially when they're young, like, like, I can figure I can see an adult, like, I feel like I'm a picky eater, but maybe because I don't allow myself to experience lots of different foods like do you, like in for kids, like, is that something that is that a term that you would label for them? Like, how would well,
1: you 85% of parents of children from ages one to five label their children as picky eaters? <laughs> so yes, believe me. Uh, as a pediatrician, I do well child checks almost all day long. And one of the questions I ask at all well child checks is about nutrition. And many parents are like, well, they're kind of picky. So to me, picky eating, for the most part is developmental. It's not necessarily Thing You know, there's definitely some medical conditions that can cause extreme picky eating that we need to address. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But for the most part, I think the selectivity, this change in the eating patterns of children is a developmental reality. And we don't have to panic about it, because all we have to do is just keep doing the same thing we were already doing that division of responsibilities, that setting up a positive environment, that continuing to offer a variety of foods. But what parents do instead is the child may go through food jags, or they may get selective and say, they're going through the typical chicken nuggets and mac and cheese phase. And so then the parent continues to only offer chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, because the parents thinking, well, at least they'll eat that. At least they're getting calories, at least they're getting protein, you know? And so they just keep doing that. And guess what happens? They continue to eat chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. So it's like a vicious cycle. So you can recognize that it's happening. You can understand that it's a developmental reality. In many cases, it's just a normal part of childhood. But you stay in your lane and continue to offer a variety of foods because I will emphasize again The only way that children learn to like foods is through consistent and repetitive exposure. Continue to offer those foods that your child rejected. Don't assume that if they rejected a couple of times, they don't like it. You have to keep putting it on their plate. You have to keep offering it, but without pressure. That's the key. I
0: love it. I love it. What's, What's interesting now, especially, you know, as, you know, as, 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 as we grow older, as technology and everything's kind of expanded and just the, the aspect of kind of imaging and, you know, just like self-valuation, especially for, and I, and I think it happens for kids, um, you know, what has been some of your experiences with just kind of the way kids kind of perceive themselves, the way they eat, the way they look, like, and how all that kind of ties in together?
1: Yes, this is a great question after the last question you asked, because when we do label our children, we can perpetuate certain habits and characteristics as well. So I encourage parents to try not to label their kids, especially not around them, because then children do believe, hey, I'm just a picky eater. That's just what I am. (laughs) It's a picky eater for life, you know. (laughs) And then the other thing about body size, which is another passion of mine, because my emphasis is more on habits and behaviors, because I believe and research also show that it is the habits and behaviors that we have that actually is correlated to our health. And sometimes those habits and behaviors are also correlated to body size, okay? But I would rather focus on the habits and behaviors rather than the body size. Because ultimately, if we focus on that, we're getting to the foundation. We're getting to that upstream medicine, like I talked about, the root cause, instead of going off on these deviant paths that may actually lead to more harm than good. So whenever we start getting worried or panicked about our child's body size, and this goes to whether children are considered too large or too small, that can also affect children. I have had children that they're probably just genetically small kids, but there's always been a panic that they're small. We've got to get them to gain weight, force feeding them, all of these things. And they come up to my appointment to my office and they're they're so traumatized about being small. I had one little kid ask me, he's like, am I too small? Am I growing? You know, and so we we have to be very cautious about how we talk about our children, especially in front of them. And I know that it can be very anxiety provoking for parents, especially if they themselves have had disordered eating or body dissatisfaction, body dysmorphia, any of those things. But we do have to be cautious. And instead, let's focus on those habits and behaviors. How can we optimize nutrition, movement, stress reduction, sleep, social connections in our family? And then how does that result in our health in our body size and on those things? So that's really would be my plea to parents is to be very careful about labeling your child and how you talk to your child um, about their size or how you refer to them to other people when they can hear you, because that can have a lasting impact.
0: Is, is that your kind of premise? I know, I know you have, you know, you have a lot of tenants. which am going to absolutely love uh, this aspect of just kind of being health at every size, like just mm-hmm. being able to kind of like, yes, they're at this particular size, but let's focus on what they're doing well during that specific size. And obviously you, I know you know, it with adults but like, well, I'm pretty sure a lot of this stuff we see in adults, you know, Probably kind of stems sometimes from like what how they dealt with as a child as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Health at every size is very misunderstood. A lot of people think that health at every size means that every person. No matter what their body weight or size is healthy, that's not what it means. To me, I summarize it to mean that every person, regardless or independent of their body size, has the potential to adopt habits and behaviors that improve their well being. That's what I take it to mean. I love it. And it also helps us understand that we're not clones. We're not all going to look the same. We're not going to be the same heights. We come from different ethnic backgrounds. I mean, I just look at my ethnic background, the way that my people are shaped. It's different from other ethnicities, other peoples. And so Mm. it's an understanding that first of all, we're not supposed to look the same, but we are raised in different environments. We may have different socioeconomic statuses, and this all affects our body weight and size. But regardless of that, no matter where you start in your body size, whether you're a smaller person or whether you're a larger bodied person, let's get to these habits and behaviors and how can we improve our well-being. Because right now, the belief in our society is you can't be happy and you can't be healthy unless you are at a normal weight. That's not true. That is not true. So, that's looking at it from a different way. No matter where you're starting with your weight, should the goal always be, okay, I'm just going to get to a BMI of 22, otherwise, I'm not going to be happy? We know that that's not true. As physicians, we know that that's not true. So, instead of saying, okay, you have to be the certain weight, how about Let's focus on stopping smoking. Let's focus on eating more fruits and vegetables, getting better sleep, address your sleep apnea. Can we do those things? And maybe in three months, you're actually going to feel better about your well-being. Likely. Did you lose any weight? Maybe not. And this applies to children as well, because whenever we see children as just a, you know, a number on a scale that is, is not appropriate help for them. It's not a it's not the way to approach their ultimate well-being longevity and joy. I think it's really addressing those habits and behaviors. That's the most important part. It may affect their body weight it may not.
0: for for parents um, you know who come to see you and you know who you kind of kind of educate is the aspect of you know teaching their children you know the importance of you know recognizing what a healthy, right body looks like and being confident in that. Is that a is that something that you you ask parents to do kind of in a very active approach? Is it some kind of tennis that you kind of like like set this foundation and kind of let it grow? Like how 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 do you how do you kind of approach that aspect with parents and children and trying to build that aspect up?
1: Yes, it's super important. And that's also what is part of this positive environment. It's not just the food we see in our cabinets and our fridge, but it's also the words we say. So among women, it's very common to have something called fat talk, where we get together with other women and we talk about how our bigger butts are or how we need to lose weight to get into our bathing suit. And children hear that, but also we subscribe to magazines about weight loss. We watch programs about weight loss. It's constantly surrounding us this, you know, this way that we see our bodies, our dissatisfaction with our bodies, it's constantly surrounding us. And so it's about starting to change that paradigm, starting to change that conversation about being a certain body weight, losing weight, because that makes you more acceptable in society and more about body acceptance, body neutrality, neutrality, but also adopting healthy habits and behaviors. In some families, I have the conversation a little bit more strongly because there are some parents that they themselves are still struggling with their body image. They're still struggling with recurrent dieting. And so it's hard for them because, and I was there too. Whenever you come from that background, you're worried about your own body, but you panic for your children because you're worried that your children are going to experience the same psychological distress that you did, bullying and and all of that. Because yeah, there's studies that show that we in some ways, socially are more acceptable if we're a certain body size. But we know in our deepest heart that it doesn't make us more worthy in general. So it it can make some parents really panic. And so I have to have these conversations with those parents for them to just take a deep breath and follow the principles and learn little by little how to change that internal dialogue they have about their own bodies, so that they don't pass that down to their children. Because we know that children as young as five or six years old are already believing that they need to diet, they understand what diets are, Children, very young, starting to restrict their calories because they feel like they need to change their body size. And this is before girls even hit puberty. So we know that this environment is very important, but I'm not blaming parents because we're all in the same society. We're all in this diet culture. We're all immersed in this thin ideal, but we can start taking steps right now to change that reality for our children, so I'm hoping that this next generation is the first generation where we see a decrease in eating disorders. And the only way that we can do that is by changing the way that we talk about ourselves and approaching our bodies, body sizes, and instead focusing on these healthy habits and behaviors.
0: I love, I love every, every, I love every bit of that. And and, and you know, before obviously before we kind of let you go, right? Because I know we, you know you've been. You've been such a phenomenal, um, you know, done such a phenomenal job, first and foremost. (laughs) Um, I'm always interested, especially when I have my physician colleagues who do go kind of the extra mile, because you could have easily said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of take care of the patients who are in front of me, do the best job that I can. Um, But obviously you do so much more kind of, I, I say, outside of the clinic. To try to help as much people as you can, like I said, you know your podcast, hope you have books in there. Like, what has been that motivation to say, you know what? Like, yes, I'm I'm doing enough. I'm doing a great job in the clinic, but I know I could do more. Like, what has been that motivation for you, especially to get you to this point?
1: Part of it is my personality. I already have the personality that if I find something that helps me, if I know that there's something that brings me more well-being and joy, I want to tell other people. I can't help myself. <laughs> so maybe that's to some people, that's probably not a good thing. They're like, please shut up, perhaps. But the other thing is I I see what's happening around me and I know that what I have to say is unique and I want more people to hear it. And I want the message to be spread because even within our health and wellness culture, there's still a lot of things that we're doing that could potentially harm patients and, and harm individuals. So, the way that I see it, the approach that I take, I feel is a gentler approach that hopefully can support that well being and longevity. In ways that also supports our mental health. So I feel like it's my duty to keep talking about these things. Mm-hmm. And thank it. goodness yes. we live in the age of social media and the internet because now we can reach lots of people this way. And I'm just very happy to do it. And I know that it's helping because moms tell me all the time that it's really helped them in feeding their kids. It's helped them with their own body image, get to that place where they're feeling more peace. They're feeling calmer when they're feeding their children. And I feel like when I hear that I'm doing the right thing. And so I just want to keep going.
0: Yeah, you know, what's, you know what's so special, about especially what you're doing is that I think, and again, I might be biased because I'm an internist and I focus on adults. Um, I see a lot of the, the the foundation of what you're teaching and you know what, what you're kind of expounding and really telling the world. But like it, it typically is kind of focused on the adults. Like like mm-hmm. like now that you're an adult, this is the stuff that you need to worry about. This mm-hmm. is the stuff you need to do, and and I think it gets lost. Uh, like you you kind of mentioned, uh, which was kind of sad. As early as five years old, kids mm-hmm. are starting to experience, you know, things that again I remember. Like I'm trying to think, what was I thinking about. at five years old? I definitely was not thinking like that. Definitely was not in my forehead. I probably was. I forget. It was probably sure it was a video game or something. I was thinking about. <laughs> Like the fact that kids are having to really think about this and process this at such an early age, uh, I think that's what makes what you're doing so amazing. Because you're like, hey, like let's not forget, like you know, kids need help as well too. And if we if we set up these things correctly when they are adults and they have to see someone like out of Pierre, right? Like they're not as bad off. So that's I think that's what I, I commend you for even more often than not. Because I think kids are definitely a kids and parents. Right. We, and it's only because we even though we talk about kids a lot of time, I'm pretty sure you know it better than I do. Like the counseling happens through the parents. Yes. The education happens through the parents. So like you have two sets of groups who are kind of learning together. And, you know, you being able to kind of feel that that br- be serve as that bridge is such an amazing uh, feat for us.
1: Yes, exactly. And we're all each on our own journey, right? We each have our backstories, we each have our experiences. And a lot of parents are super young, they're learning, they're growing as they go. So my job is really to sit next to them and support them, walk this walk with them, and help them so that we can support children, because I want children to Enjoy their childhood. I mean, what a gift Mm -hmm. it is to be able to enjoy your childhood and focus on playing those video games, instead of worrying about how many calories you ate. Can you imagine when your childhood is stolen away? I started dieting when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. I started worrying about my body size when I was nine years old. I wasn't even double digits yet. So if I can save one child from having to obsess over what they're eating, the size of their body, their weight, that's a success, you know, because childhood is so, it's such a glorious time.
0: I love it. So, you know, before we let you go, like where, where can, because obviously I know people are going to be kind of clamoring, like where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they learn about you? Read more? Like, it, like, let us know what you had in Horizon, of books, any, like, t- just talk to us. Let's this is it.
1: Thank you. So on social media, I'm most active on Instagram at the Dr. Yami. For those people who have hopped on to Clubhouse, I'm on there at least a few times a week. Also at the Dr. Yami. My podcast is called Veggie Doctor Radio. You can find it on all podcast players. I mostly focus on plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, but have really interesting guests. And my book is called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating how to raise kids who love to eat healthy. You can find it in paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which I narrated myself. So if you're liking the sound of my voice, then maybe you can pick up the audiobook. And then also I have lots of cool freebies. So for parents that want a download on these principles that we talked about, about feeding their kids, or if you're interested in plant-based nutrition, maybe starting to decrease dairy or meat in your diet, go to dryami.com, that's spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, yamicom forward slash free, F-R-E-E. And you can find a bunch of freebies that can suit your needs and you can share them with your friends and family. So that's what I have to offer today.
0: Yes, I love it. Remember, Let's Learn Community, all of the links that she mentioned, every Instagram, uh, all of that will be in the show notes as well too, especially if you're listening and you're driving or whatever you may be doing um, as you listeners Again, Dr. Yami, thank you very much. Uh, for, you know, really blessing the lunch learning community, especially my parents. I have a lot of parents who listen. And again, they're always asking me for, you know, what about the kids? And I'm like, hey, like, I I don't know kids again. Once once you're like 17, if you're 17 and younger, like I start shuddering. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. Let me me pass this on. So uh, thank you again for joining us, really blessing us and really educating us again, dropping some, you know, some amazing facts uh, that should really get, you know, again, I'm a parent. I'm a parent of three, and and I have, you know, I have what what I would think is a picky eater. But now, now as you speak, I'm like, you know what? Is she a picky eater, or am I really not giving her a lot of choices to eat? Like that's that's a big like. As you're talking, I'm like, hmm, you know, I need to start. I need to start expanding my my daughter's uh, palate.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. Pierre, thank you so much for everything that you do. And I'll just say as a pediatrician, I know that my patients might make you shudder, but your patients make me shudder. So I'm so thankful that there's internists. My husband's also an internist. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for having this podcast. And I had a blast. So I'm happy to serve. And anything that anybody from your community needs, I'm happy to help them out. But I really appreciate being your your guest today. So thanks.
0: Thank you for coming to the end of the episode. It is your truly Dr. Barry Pierre. I want to give my Undying thanks to you for your support. Just getting to the end of the episode means that you at least enjoyed today's episode. Hope you were empowered by today's episode. Please remember to share this episode with at least two people that you know that would be greatly affected if they did not listen to today's episode. And if you have not already done so, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review. Leave a review there because your support is so, 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 so valuable for what we're doing here on the Lynch Learn and everything with PR Medical Consulting. And if you have not done so, go ahead and join the listserv. To join the listserv, it's very easy. Just grab your phone right now. I'll pause. Join the listserv. You want to text Lunch Learn Pod. Is all going to be one word? Lunch Learn Pod to and you'll be on the list serve you'll know exactly when new episodes are coming out you'll know about new episodes before they actually come out because i usually tell my list serve members hey this is what i'm working on this are the guests that you should expect to hear for the week on Thank you, guys you have a blessed day and i'm gonna see you guys next week